now from Grid Square Echo Mike 48. This is 100 watts and a wire. Yes, sir. Hello to you. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, depending where you may be. Good night. And that's the end of the show. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Good. I'm doing good. Good morning and afternoon, evening to, to everyone, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, we never know. My call sign is Kilo Zero Sierra Tango Hotel. My name is Christian, and that is Steve, Whiskey 7 United, Delta, India. I hope everybody had a uh, reasonably good personal week. Another uh, 2021 is uh, beginning to shape up a lot like uh, 2020 left off. I saw an interesting meme where it was a scary clown introducing another scary clown. You know, like the, here, you're new on the job here of 2021. Uh, but I hope that we all made it and uh, we're doing okay. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about winter field day and uh, operating in the cold. So uh, we're going to be talking to a guest here in just a few minutes. I want to let you know if you're just finding us on YouTube, uh, please subscribe if you like what you see or uh, everything sounds good to you. Uh, subscribe and click the notification bell. This is a ham radio talk show. We meet here every Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, and it lives on the YouTube channel, and everybody is welcome here. Uh, we keep all the controversial topics away, and we focus on the things that bring us together. In this case, radio and all the things adjacent to it. And Steve, we have a guest here. I want to introduce you to Ken. He's November 8 Kilo Charlie, and he's with a winter field day. So let's uh, bring him up and have a conversation with Ken. Good morning, sir. I uh, really morning, appreciate uh, you joining us this morning. Well, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Is, is my audio problem. fine? And, yeah, your audio sounds fine. And if uh, if it if it wasn't, I would just adjust it just for you. So you're okay. Uh, you know, we were talking last night, Steve. This is how things happen. You know, I I uh, I'm part of the uh, winter field day page. I think I fat fingered myself out of there at some point. I went back and I was like, what the heck? And uh, rejoined because I believe in it. You know, we all enjoy portable operations and that sort of thing. So on Facebook, there's an active group there as well mm -hmm. for winter field day, which Ken is a part. And so we were communicating back and forth last night, like for an invitation. Hey, you want to come on the show? And I'm sure he was thinking, oh, yeah, sometime that would be nice. I'm like, no, like, you know, tomorrow, like tomorrow. morning, <laughs> like in six hours, you know, these kinds of <laughs> kinds of things. But I, I thank you for your flexibility. And I, I wanted to talk about it because, you know, it's the 30th and the 31st. It's the last full weekend uh, in January with an emphasis or at least an underlying emphasis on emergency communications because we know things don't stop it's not an always ideal situation when these things arise can we use we speak a little bit about winter field day and maybe some of the background of where it comes from all right uh what i can tell a little bit of history first uh, winter field day started around seven uh, it was sponsored by a group called spar which stood for the society of amateur radio and uh, they started it up and it ran fairly smoothly it wasn't a very big deal it, it wasn't uh, it was gaining popularity um, but just as it seemed to be gaining popularity uh, the four guys who ran it uh, became more elderly <laughs> and uh, more ill and as that happened it was I think it at the point 
where they stopped scoring the contest, there was only two of them left um, that were able to do much. So when uh, when that happened, there was a group of guys who, uh, who uh, stepped in and tried to get Winter Field Day, the original Winter Field Day, uh, from Spar and take over the, the range to keep it going. And uh, those guys, uh, they weren't, they did include me. Those guys were Tom Phelps, W8, WFD from Ohio, uh, Bill Nangle, V35 from Ontario, Eric McCord, WX4ET from Tennessee, Dave Tabbitt, W3DET from North Carolina. And then I came along later sort of as an afterthought when they started up a Facebook page. And uh, I thought I could help them because at the time I was running a couple other Facebook groups and had a little bit of experience doing that. But uh, the original group, SPAR, uh, they didn't start it with necessarily an emergency communications uh, bent, but it was supposed to be somewhat similar to uh, Summerfield Day in that the object is to get you out of your comfort zone, get out of your shack where everything's set up, be able to get your stuff, carry it off somewhere and set up in a field or set up in your car or set up at your cottage just to get out and be able to, to do that, to make sure that you could pick up your stuff and go somewhere if you had to, to use it for communications. So that was where Winter Field Day took it pretty much the same way. And, and we've held that uh, through uh, in that uh, we do all modes, uh, which is somewhat similar to uh, Summer Field Day, but not a lot of other contests. All modes, all bands except the work bands. And uh, it's uh, basically, like I said, sort of an emergency communications uh, practice, I guess be the best way to put it. But uh, in 2015, uh, the guys in SPAR didn't score the contest, and these other fellas stepped in and took over the reins and then scored that year's contest and then took over. I came into the picture, I guess, five or six years ago uh, when they started a Facebook page that only had 100 or so members on it, didn't have very many people on it. And uh, I promised them that I would grow the page, and we're, I think, just shy of 3,000 members now on the Facebook nice. group. So uh, uh, that's our main way of getting out. We also have a, a winter field day uh, website where much of the same information is available about the contest, the rules, and all that kind of stuff. And we're listed on uh, most of the contest calendars, too, that I'm aware of. So let's talk about what the, uh, the approach is. Um, now, it sounds great. Not everybody's really willing to go out in the winter. And then we've got diehards that are out activating parts, uh, parks, and they're doing these sorts of activations. Um, what percentage of the folks that you see that are participating are actually going out there to do it? Is it inviting to those who may want to sit at home or may not be able to get out this year? How does that sort of um, operating uh, between the operators work? I can't really give you numbers as to a percentage of people that operate from outdoors or uh, from indoors. I know we have a lot of participate uh, participants that actually operate from what we call a home station, mm -hmm. which would be at your, you know, your base station, like what you see behind me here. So it's, uh, you know, antennas already set up, rigs already plugged in, you plugged into a wall outlet. But 
one of the differences in our uh, scoring scenario for Winterfield Day is we offer bonus points. Uh, one of them is 1,500, 1500 points for operating an outdoors station. Um, the outdoors doesn't mean that you have to be outside minus 20 weather getting frostbite. We don't encourage anybody to get frostbite or heat stroke down in Arizona. So uh, we make allowances for uh, operator comfort. So if you're outside mm -hmm. in a tent, you're still outside, even if you have a heater going inside. If you're out in an uninsulated garage, that's outside. You can have a torpedo heater in there to keep you warm. But it's worth 1,500 points to operate somewhere else other than at your regular shack. Um, it's also uh, extra points if you're operating remotely uh, versus at home. Uh, so uh, that's more points. There, there's just a lot of different things. There's extra points for making uh, a satellite contact. So uh, winter field day just counts them all as a contact. But uh, we are not winter field day, summer field day uh, counts them all just as a contact. But we give uh, different points. There's multipliers for using more bands. If you only work mm -hmm. one band, you don't get any multipliers. One band and one mode. If you work one band and three modes, that's three multipliers right there. So Very nice. Uh, we kind of encourage using as, as many different bands as possible and as many different modes as you can, as you can try to get familiar with all of those. Mm -hmm. Now, last year, uh, we started to uh, be inundated with uh, a pandemic. Before that, in previous winter field days, did you find that people would get together in small groups like field day would work? Was it club oriented or was it more of an individual and not, not specific numbers? Or did, did you just have a mix of that? Uh, a mix, just like uh, summer field day. There's a lot of home stations, you know, uh, what are they, what are they, uh, one Delta, I think, in summer field day. There's a lot of one Delta sum, uh, summer stations. In winter field day, there's a lot of one home stations, which are people operating from their home. Mm -hmm. um, but we get a lot of clubs that participate. Uh, well, I, I'm sure you know how many participate in summer field day because it's a big social event in most clubs, um, as well as a fun event. Winter field day is in the middle of a season where there's not a lot going on for clubs to do other than club meetings. So it's a big way to get out and have another social event another time of the year. Uh, my club, Useka, does these shirts uh, for our club every year. We've had a shirt for Winter Field Day. Um, we've had as many as 55 people show up for Winter Field Day at a site that's 90 miles away from uh, where most of us live. Um, wow. Yeah, we operate uh, at a CYO camp that's up on Lake Huron. So uh, always always a lot of fun. And, of course, you know, that involves just like field day. There's usually lots of food <laughs> and stuff like that going on, so it attracts more hams. Now, with the leadership there this time around, dealing with uh, restrictions and, and getting together and those sorts of things, uh, what sort of approach did you guys have to take in, in putting not rules together, but did you have to – augment your your current way uh our rules are pretty much unchanged from previous years um the big difference we made was we made essentially the same same thing that uh awrl did for this last uh, field day where if you if you want to work from home and you don't want to get together as a group on account of the pandemic uh you can choose to have your score individually scored 
and attributed to a club by filling in the club line on the uh, Cabrillo form. So uh, this year we're going to probably see a whole lot more people operating from home. Uh, 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 a lot of those will probably be attributing their scores to a club. As a matter of fact, I had uh, – it's a rather large international club uh, out of Long Island. I think it's the Long Island DX Club or something like that. And uh, they want to be able to attribute their scores. And th I told them how to do it. So we'll probably be seeing quite a few logs from them. And we do get uh, – this is not a U.S. Uh, US stroke Canada contest. It's uh, worldwide. We get uh, – we have one fellow, OH8, I can't remember the suffix to his call, named Julian, who uh, operates from a, a, a tent with a little stove in it somewhere in Finland. Yeah, that's Julian, uh, who, who's – he also has a YouTube channel. He's Oscar Hotel Sierra – Oscar Hotel 8 Sierra Tango November – and every day is winter field day for uh, for Julian. For Julian, yes, it is. <laughs> so what are some of the considerations that people should think about? Maybe you're new here. Of course, we want to protect our skin. We want to be wise when we're working outside. In terms of operating, what are some of the things to think about in terms of maybe battery power uh, packing that you've learned over the years? Well, the last couple of years being what they've been with uh, propagation not being so hot, uh, running QRP really wasn't a lot of an option, at least for our club, because you had uh, a lot of people, especially newer people who come up, uh, running QRP means you sit for a long time calling CQ and not getting a whole lot of answers. Um, so with propagation being what it was, we've been running 100 watts. That means having a lot of batteries extra available. Now, you can run off a generator. That counts. By the way, battery power and generator power, just like uh, summer field day, we offer bonus points for that if you're running on anything other than commercial power. So, you know, regardless of how you want to come up with power, as long as it's not plugging into the wall, um, you're uh, getting extra points for it. But uh, when, we, uh, when we go out as a group, uh, we don't run uh, – because of the location we were at, we didn't want to take a chance with generators and the fire possibilities. So we ran batteries, and that meant a lot of batteries. I have uh, batteries in my RV and batteries in my boat. They all went to winter field day, and they'd all be charged and ready before we went. So, uh, you know, you got to get through 24 hours of calling CQ. And if you've done a contest, you know the fastest way to make points is to get on the air and call CQ, not dial around looking for context just call cq and let them come to you is there any attempt that we have a few more minutes here before we let you go now this is separate from the ARRL's field day event right right so, so we're not ARRL affiliated are you looking for that affiliation would that help you or this con or this sort of contest or event we approached them a number of years back about that and uh, they didn't seem terribly interested. Um, we weren't quite as maybe a popular contest at the time. They didn't seem to be terribly interested. But I think that's because uh, if, if you look at the calendar year, I think they do one or two contests a month uh, from the ARRL. And they didn't want it to be any kind of a conflict, I think. But uh, – we're fine. We've been fine running it on our own. It's it's only sure. five guys that run the whole show. So uh, with a couple of a couple of other fellows that are 
kind of on the sidelines helping us out. But uh, we've been doing pretty good by our own, on our own. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about that. And there's new leadership there. So there may be a new opportunity. Steve, did you have any questions for Ken or any uh, thoughts on uh, getting out and winter portable? Oh, it's getting out on winter portable. If you do get out, remember, stay hydrated. <laughs> it's even though you, do, you don't think about it uh, in, you know, in the summertime, it's like, yeah, stay hydrated, stay hydrated. The same thing happens in the wintertime, especially when you're out because the humidity's down. You're still, you're using a lot of body heat. You're losing it if you're, uh, depending on how you're covered. This is for if you're outside, out away from your, from your uh, home station. But no, this is great. And then you have a lot of batteries because uh, battery efficiency goes way down because of temperature. So yeah, you can get a set. Of, I, I would imagine your RV batteries would be just fine for summer field day. And, um, but in a winter field day, you got to double it up because it's just, battery efficiency just goes way down but no it's great i i was looking at the uh, website the the other day and just uh probably participating from home here but uh, i like what you're doing i remember when it first started up and it was like there was people like what is this thing but i think it's great personally i'd say stay away from the awrl getting them involved in it not not in a bad way it's you guys are doing a great job as it is the five of you and just keep so it it's organic. It's, 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 this is an organic operating event contest or whatever, but it's, this is great. And, uh, I think they're, the league's plate is full as far as dealing with the contests and this and that. And we need diversity. We, you know, we have CQ magazine that runs a bunch of contests. We got the league and it, it's always so nice to have individual organic, just contests or operating events that are just run by five or six guys which is just you know it's generic it's great i love it and you guys are doing a great job I'll send my best to oh. the ten, uh, the team there ken oh, sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there what were you going to say uh well we're actually thinking of offering certificates or plaques and stuff for for uh different levels of operator you know first second third that sort of thing uh, we really haven't come to a decision about that yet, but it's we do post results. Mm -hmm. uh, usually, um, usually the results are posted within a month or two of the uh, shutdown date for logs. And I, if I remember correctly, the shutdown date for logs is uh, March first. So, well, good luck yeah, to you. This is uh, January. January the 30th and the 31st, it's Winterfield Day. I put the link to the website in the chat there so you can go and check it out. They're also on Facebook. A lot of good uh, information there about working portable. And my thanks to you, Ken. I, I know this was a spur of the moment. I really appreciate you uh, getting up there in paradise where you live. November 8, Kilo Charlie. Uh, good luck. Stay safe out there. And uh, we'll look forward to following your uh, progress on Facebook. All right. Thank you very much, Steve and Christian. And thank uh, you, Ken. My pleasure to be on. Pleasure to meet you today. Check them Take out. Care. 73. The ICOM 705 is your perfect QRP companion as you have base station features and functionality at the tip of your fingers. But it's in a portable package covering HF, 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at 1 kilo or just over 2 pounds. With RF direct sampling for most of the HF band and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. It's got that large 4.3 inch color touchscreen with live band scope 
and waterfall. And the perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional backpack. It's the LC192. It has a special compartment for the IC705 and room for accessories for soda activations or just a day in the park. Visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on all ICOM radios. Now, this is the time where we uh, bring two stories to the table, and we talk about them with our friend Karen and Paul, KD2GUT, and Paul, WD9GCO. Welcome to you both. I hope everything's going well. Morning. Interesting first week in the world, but whoa, I'm glad to see everybody that we can see. We got two stories on the table today, and we'll start with you, Karen. What'd you find? Okay, we're starting the week with uh, an ambitious proposal uh, from the FCC. Uh, at first, I thought, wow, this is new, but it isn't so new. A uh, little digging told me uh, the FCC is actually going to roll the clock back a bit or the calendar. They're looking to explore adding VECs. Uh, VECs are the organizations that uh, coordinate the testing process between the VEs and the actual candidates. They hopefully simplify the process. Uh, we have 14 of them in the U.S. Uh, and this is a system that was established in the 80s. A lot of uh, you old timers will remember having to find an FCC building and uh, go down there and, and take the exam. All this, this now brings it to you. Uh, what the uh, FCC is looking to do is add more VECs. This will make the exams, which of course now our licenses are going to cost us uh, $35. So um, I just want to make note of that without comment, but they're looking to make the licensing process more accessible with the addition of as many as five new VECs. Uh, VECs Interestingly enough, this past summer, all VECs, and not just a select few, were given the capability to test remotely, which is very nice, of course, in these pandemic times. And God knows we need more hams on the air right now to help with this terrible isolation of uh, lockdown. So everyone listening and watching and everybody else who isn't, but should be, uh, needs to make a comment if you have a feeling one way or the other about adding VECs. I don't know what the cost would be. Uh, there's been no mention of that on the website, but it seems to me what the FCC is trying to do, the spirit of this proposal, is to make testing in any form, remote or otherwise, more accessible to more candidates who wish to sit for the exam. Paul, what do you make of this? If it if it helps, because um, because I'm a VE, and we have not been able to hold exams since uh, our last exam was last February, uh, because we hold ours in the local library, and they've closed down the conference rooms when when everything started to, to go sideways. And if this expands the number of people on the back end, that will start to allow virtual exams and online exams, that'll be a good thing. Because honestly, after talking to people at my local library, I don't see those conference rooms opening back up until the middle of the year. 
So, I mean, it's going to be a year and a half since our, our group has been able to hold exams. So, uh, you know, I mean, if, if this is going to help with help spread the, the, the workload out and help make more things possible, I'm, I'm for it. Because now, now to make sure the VECs are not us. The VECs are who we report to. When we collect all our exam papers at the end of the day and the fees and that, um, we send them off to the VEC, like the ARRL or the W5YI group or whatever. Um, so if we have more groups like that who can coordinate more VEs, I think that'll smooth the process out and really make it more accept more accessible, I agree, for more hams wanting to either test in new or upgrade. Karen, do you think this is going to complicate things with, say, paperwork early on before it gets better? No, I think, uh, first of all, I, I had mentioned earlier that uh, the FCC appears to be rolling back the clock or the calendar, and I um, didn't explain what I meant by that. Uh, the FCC originally, when VECs were created, my understanding is there were 28 of them originally. Uh Initially, there were 28. Now, of course, there's one for each of the 13 regions plus a sort of freestanding one. I don't think it will complicate things if it is done in an organized manner, uh, the big if. But uh, there's plenty of time to do that and to think it through. I agree with Paul. It is a good thing. It makes it more accessible. I mean, and are they going to add more? I mean, are they going to are we also talking more separate organizations? Or are they going to like add more capacity at the league and you know I, we don't know exactly how this is going to be structured yet so well this is called the two stories feature and of course <laughs> if you're seeing this uh you're welcome to comment in post you can add your comments uh, in the chat at the moment you can send your comments later on story number two paul what did you find that was also interesting well the uh, fcc has filed a uh uh, charges against a company that's selling radio-controlled remote devices for um, deer decoys. Um, it allows you to to make them make sounds and do stuff away, you know, like you're hiding up in your your blind. And they're saying that these things weren't were type accepted and um, exceeded the power and the range for a device of that type and could potentially cause interference to radios in the area. So, I mean, it's nice to see, um, and, and the, I mean, it's $55,000 that they're being hit with. Jeez. So having personally experienced something like that, I mean, it, it's good to see several years back near the I mean, late October, all of a sudden I got this repeating pattern of noise on, on HF broadband from 160 all the way up through 10. And I started sniffing around my house thinking, what? the heck is this and it, i couldn't find it so i finally took my my iphone and i just took a video of the computer i mean of the of the radio with so i could post it somewhere and say does anybody recognize what this noise was and then i had to go out to the grocery store so i got in my car it was dark i sat down in my car i looked in my rearview mirror and i saw the guy across the street behind me had put up this giant 13 14 foot high inflatable jack skellington thing that had flashing lights in it and i'm watching that and all of a sudden i'm starting to recognize the pattern of the flashing lights and i pulled out my phone and i started that video in time with the lights sure enough 
it's the the electronic circuit inside that thing was uh putting out broadband noise all the way through the neighborhood. And I went and I talked to him and he clearly didn't care. But I asked if I could put some ferrites on the power cord and stuff. And that did nothing. So it's the cheap flasher circuit for the LEDs inside this balloon. And the 13 feet of wire that goes up through it that light all the LEDs, it turned it into an antenna. And there was absolutely nothing I could do because he wasn't going to let me take this thing apart and, and try to troubleshoot his electronics because he didn't care. And I explained to him, I said, you realize that anybody in this neighborhood with a radio listening to a ball game or whatever, and, and this guy would start this thing in the middle of October and leave it up almost to Christmas. So for like a month and a half, um, I, I had no, no HF as soon as the sun went down. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm, glad stuff like this happens because you know stuff i mean there's consequences things like that get through the market and it wiped out radio for an entire neighborhood for a block and a half for a month and a half hate to make light of it but i think paul when we told him we have friends in philadelphia and new jersey things really cleared up there with your neighbor's interference karen thank you he did eventually move oh by the way i refer to him as (laughs) as spark gap skellington so that's i'm glad he moved karen take us home on this yeah, nobody likes RFI, least of all us. Um, I keep thinking that, oh, my God, it's it's turnabout is fair play, I guess. Back in the day, uh, it was the radio operators who interfered um, on six meters, I believe, with Channel 2. And now we're the victims. Uh, seems like we're trying to get our signal out and everybody's interfering with us. Is it fair? No. Is it funny? Well only for a split second. It, it is kind of funny how the world turns the way it does. I microwave something and for whatever reason, it, it knocks my Google Nest playing Sirius XM, gets interrupted. That's running off of Wi-Fi. What's that all about? Well, it does it consistently enough that I have to figure there's something going on that's either not in compliance or too close. I haven't really explored it, but The more we go wireless, the more we're going to be seeing this. At least the wildlife out there, uh, if they had some HTs with them, would know that something was going on and they could scatter. So as a wildlife advocate, I I appreciate the fact that there's RFI and the deer can pretty much alert one another, maybe set up some kind of an emergency net and scatter so nobody shoots them. They all wear those those little camouflage colored Mm. UV-5s. Uh, there you go. Or or they're camouflaged to look like other hunters. There you go. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting points always. And thank you to Karen. KD2GUT and Paul, WD9GCO. Please leave your comments in the chat and in the comments below. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. And until next week, guys, uh, 73, we'll catch up with you. Thanks for doing it. You're welcome. See you later. Take care. 73. 73. Friends, if you find value in the show and in the 100 Watts and Wire community, consider becoming a sustaining member. When you donate $25, you're eligible to receive discounts from participating companies. It's a win-win-win. The show gets your support, you receive discounts, and the companies can earn your business. Become a member now and receive six free issues of both CQ Magazine and Nuts and Volts. Support the content you enjoy and get a deal on the gear you need. Visit 100wattsandawire.com to learn more. Okie dokie, and uh, welcome back. Well, Steve, we've uh, 
We've uh, covered uh, several different things today. We're talking a little bit. We've got a mutual uh, conversations happening. Of course, we always Mm -hmm. have interesting news coming out of Amateur Radio Newsline and my colleagues over there. Uh, This week, you know, we've got some interference coming from some strange little deer mechanisms. We've got, uh, what do you make of the news this week? Oh, that, that's uh, that's the first I've heard about the uh, the manufacturer or this this company getting fined. Fifty five G's. Can you imagine? Yeah. That'll straighten you up. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's good. I mean, it's uh, maybe they'll fly right and stuff like that. But uh, in as far as uh, Karen's uh, the uh, when the microwave goes on and uh, she loses her Wi Fi. Yeah, microwave run. I think a microwave oven oven runs are in the two gig range, and uh, two point three is coming off the top of my head, but don't quote me on it. And uh, yeah, we have the same issue. With, uh if I'm out in the uh, kitchen area and the microwave oven goes, it, well, there goes my Wi-Fi link, and uh, we just kind of there. It's just proximity. So look at that. Uh, change the five eight or something, uh, Karen, and that should go a little better. But uh, and it's uh, ironic is that, yeah, we were causing interference to channel two from if you operated on 10 meters or six meters. And and now uh, it's the other way around. We're getting our signal out. We just can't hear anybody because we're getting hammered by uh, all this uh, RFI. And uh, wow, <laughs> it's uh, uh, Paul's uh, neighbor there. And uh, yeah, it was I noticed a big drop in 75 meters here. Uh, just the other day, uh, once everyone started turning off their LED Christmas lights uh, on their houses, it, uh, the noise floor went down. So, yeah, yeah, and w- yeah the other comment. Well, I remember Paul having this problem, and he mm-hmm. was posting in the 100 Watson Wire uh, Facebook group because he was looking for solutions. And really, the person had these decorations up way too long. I mean, October to January, snowman, mm-hmm. inflatable, come on. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm totally all on board with teach their own, but you know, come on, man, a 25 foot snowman, you know that's not uh, that's not ideal. But anyway, yeah, I uh, we I, I mean I didn't call some friends in from Philly, but his neighbor did move and uh, disappeared from Paul's life, and sometimes that's what you gotta. That's what happens. Yeah, so who's gonna come in next? October? Some some doofus will come in next to Paul <laughs> soon. But you know what? Paul became the. Uh, the uh, the grand poobah of the HOA, so he figured out a way. I don't know oh, if that yeah. would, that would mm-hmm. be a problem, but uh, all of a sudden and, now he's got the big pants. And then the other issue is is that the consumer that buys this product doesn't know, and uh, true, and that and that's that's the problem. It uh, comes down to is that uh, you know we have manufacturers of products that uh, say yeah we are meeting Part 15 compliance, but there is no you know. It, it's it's just a statement and uh the fcc doesn't have the time and uh to you know certify everything because there's just too much out there and uh and they don't have the time to enforce it it's so it's yeah it's a catch-22 yeah um and it's hard to sometimes talk to your neighbors depending on where mm-hmm. you live i grew up in the city we lived in baltimore and row homes and there was noise and people would bang on the walls and there was always some sort of territorial uh pissing if you will going on and and it could happen when you're out in the burbs too it's sometimes hard to have these conversations because they think instantly that you don't approve of the 25 foot snowman 
who sings, you know, Kumbaya or whatever it does, for, you know, for all hours of the day. So it is a complicated situation with approaching. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure he, he went to the neighbor with like, I'm sure this is a beautiful structure. It's wonderful. Can I, you know, and talk about it. Those, conversa those conversations are hard to kind of muster up with neighbors who have no interest or, or care. It's like, I don't care what you do with your radio. I don't bother you. Leave me to my Santa Claus or my uh, snowman. You snowman know? or Skeletor or whatever it is. Yeah, it just sounds weird. So, yeah. but yeah, 50 G's will sort you out. Our other conversation going today is about Winter Field Day. And uh, it was nice of Ken to stop by. Oh, that was great. And tell us a little bit about that. And I really put him on the spot too. He's not the only one I kind of put on the spot <laughs> on the late after. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we'll take a break here in a few minutes and we're going to go outside. We have a friend who is out there in the field right now, activating in the cold temperatures and I believe scouting for winter field day. So nice. uh, we'll take a break here and uh, we've got a lot of questions to get to. Don't worry, Steve and I will uh, put your questions in the queue no matter what happens. Uh, but we're going to go out in the field. We're going to pause here and go out in the field. Uh, when we come back, special guest operator from the field in the cold next main yeah. trading company is your one-stop ham radio shop in paris texas find us on the web at mtcradio.com we've been in business for 12 years we take trades and love to help fellow hams trade up to a newer rig watch our used gear page on the web for great deals on older and even like new equipment Main Trading is a mom-and-pop business owned by Richard and Christine Lenore. We hope you'll hop on the web and give us a try. Or give us a call at 903-737-0773. We're here hoping to earn your business with good old-fashioned friendly service. If you're in Northeast Texas, stop in and see us at 2707 Lamar Avenue. Main Trading Company, Surplus Electronics, and Ham Radio. If you want to learn programming for Arduino so you can get your electronics project off the ground, then Programming Electronics Academy is the place to be. A membership gives you full access to a library of detailed video courses, including the Arduino course for absolute beginners. PEA has video courses designed for beginners that don't assume you already have a PhD in software design. If you're tired of just cutting and pasting code, visit ProgrammingElectronics.com forward slash 100 watts. To join the 100 Watts in a Wire community, visit 100wattsinawire.com.